You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. I'm really moved to be here. Um, and yes, I'm not wearing shoes, and it's not because it, they're uncomfortable. They are very comfortable, but it just feels like holy ground. And, and I just want to honor that. I just want to honor that. Um, here, in, here in this place, and I have this battle going on within me. There's this part that is like, yes, this is what I'd like to say. And this part that says, no, but you should say this. But no, you should say this. So I think I'll go with what I believe the Lord has for me to say. Is that all right today? Yeah. Oh, you all are so quiet. You were just shouting a minute ago. Is that okay? Okay, because see, I'm going to ask you to shout now, to be excited right now, because in a little bit, I promise you, you're going to be uncomfortable. Is that okay? <laughs> Is that okay? Just, just, just say okay. Just turn to somebody and say, it's going to be okay. Turn to somebody and say, it's going to be okay. And then, and then turn to somebody and say, she loves you. She really does. <laughs> she really does love you, but sometimes love hurts. You know that? Okay. All right. So here we go. Well, let me start off a little gently, okay? And then we'll get to the, then we'll get to the good part. Um, I have an admission to make. I enjoy superhero movies, especially Marvel. Yes. Yes. There is a difference. I just want you to know. Um, and the origin stories and the becoming stories are my favorites of them. Because in these stories, there's a hero or there's a villain that discovers their superpowers or, or they learn who they really are. And whenever I watch these movies, I try to imagine what it would be like to have a superpower, to be able to leap, to be able to fly, to become invisible. It would just be all good. And there are some ad campaigns and some memes that have popped up recently that pose the question, what's your superpower? And some of them take a serious tone, like, I fight fires, that's my superpower. But my favorite one is, I can make chocolate disappear. <laughs> I can, I really can. So some of them are not so serious. For the most part, I don't think I have any real superpowers, at least not like the ones my heroes in the Marvel movies do. But every so often, something supernatural happens. Because sometimes when I walk into a room, my blackness disappears. Seriously, someone will come up and say, oh, I don't see your color. I I didn't know you were black. For a split second, I think, oh, maybe I do have the power of invisibility, or maybe partial invisibility, because people see I'm still sitting there or standing there, but all of a sudden they don't see my blackness. When people tell me that they don't see my color, I know that for the most part, they are trying to pay me a compliment, that they are trying to say something nice. But what I hear when people tell me this, and, and I will tell you, I am 60 years old, and I have heard this all my life. 
This wasn't just in the 50s. It wasn't just in the 60s. I'm telling you, in the 2000s, I have had people come up to me and tell me, I don't see your color. What I hear is that people don't see me. What I hear is that people don't care enough about me or love me enough to want to get to know me, to want to hear my story. In these moments, I remind myself that God sees me and God knows me. And I wonder why someone chooses not to, especially my brothers and sisters in Christ. Psalms 139, 13 through 16 say this, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's wombs. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. God sees me. God knows me. When you look at me, take a good look at me. Don't look at the floor. Don't look at your phones. Take a look at me. When you look at me, who do you see or what do you see? Do you see Michelle? Do you see a black woman? Do you see a stereotype? Do you assume that you know my story because of the label that you have put on me? Because after all, your brain is telling you that I'm black, or at least it's assuming that I'm black. And if your brain is not telling you that you assume that I'm black, something is wrong with your brain. <laughs> Unless you really are colorblind. Biologically, physically, you can't see color or you're blind. But there's no way you can be in the United States, and let's face it, there's no way you can be in Kentucky in the South and not know that this is black and not know that this is black, but there's, there's something that's associated with it. And sometimes what's associated with this makes us uncomfortable if we bring it to the surface, if we bring it into the conversation. So we ignore it. Can you acknowledge that there's a difference and that the difference in our skin colors may mean that we have a different experience? Or is that too uncomfortable? Does that mean we might have to bring up something that's a little troublesome? Does that mean we might actually have to acknowledge that the kingdom of God is not yet here, even on a Christian campus? And when I insist that race matters, and in my case, that black lives matters, 
Does that sound unchristian to you? Or maybe does it sound like an attack on you? Or maybe what I've just said is that your racial and ethnic identity doesn't matter. That is not what I said. What I said is that Black Lives Matters. What I'm saying is that the civil rights movement did not solve the problem of racism in the United States. What I'm saying is that I am fearful for the lives of my black sons and my black daughter. What I am saying is that I am fearful when I see on the news that an estimated six foot tall black man is being searched for because he robbed a bank and my husband is a black man and he is six feet tall and we make jokes about whether or not he can go to the bank that day. That's what I'm talking about. And no, I'm not making that up. That is for real. So when I'm saying something like Black Lives Matter, it's because of the fear of what happens if we don't recognize that there's a difference in the way that we live this life, even in the church, even on our Christian campuses. Ignoring race doesn't make it go away. Ignoring gender doesn't make it go away. Ignoring poverty doesn't make it go away. Ignoring child abuse doesn't make it go away. So why is it when it comes to living into the beauty of diversity that we want to ignore race, we want to ignore ethnicity, we want to say it doesn't matter, that we just have one identity, and our one identity is in Christ Jesus. And before you check out, hear what I am saying. I am a believer. My identity is in Christ. But what I'm also telling you that it makes a difference that my skin is black. Think about your home church. What happens if I walk up in there on a Sunday morning? How will I feel? How do you think I'll feel? And if you say that, oh, you're not going to feel anything, you're wrong. Maybe you go to a black church, and I'm just making an assumption. But if your church is not diverse, I don't know, look around this auditorium. If your church is not diverse, are you having conversations about race? Or are you saying, we don't need to have the conversations about race because it's not diverse? My brothers and sisters, my racial identity matters to God. It matters to me. And I wonder why it doesn't matter in the body of Christ. Because God formed me intentionally. God formed you intentionally. He took time to form you in your mother's womb carefully. My blackness is not a surprise to God. I did not pop out of my mother's womb and he went, whoop, what happened here? <laughs> my path in life, all the things I have encountered was not his intention. 
not all the negativity, but God knew it was going to happen, so he still allowed me to come into this place, and he put a burden on my heart to help make it right. And I have a vested interest. I used to want to make it right for my kids. My baby is now 29 years old. He's grown. That's the youngest. Now I do this work, though it is tiring. I do this work, though people try to check out in their minds. I do this work, even though somebody next to you is sleeping in this place. And yes, I see you. But you don't have to worry about me seeing you. You better worry about your Heavenly Father seeing you. I do this work now because I have a four-year-old grandchild, and I don't want her to have to experience the same stuff that my grandparents experienced, that my parents experienced, that I experienced, and try as I might that my kids experience. This month, February, is designated in this nation as Black History Month. And while I appreciate the uplifting program, all the programming that goes on, the singing, the food, the festivals, the movies, I like all of that, and I appreciate it. I know not everybody does, and that breaks my heart. Because black history isn't just my history, it is our history. My history and your history are all wrapped up in each other. There is no me without you, and there is no you without me. We are all tied up and wrapped up into this together. The Word of God says we are the body of Christ. There is no this is one body, and this is another body, and this is a suburb over here. We are all together the body of Christ. God's Word says that if one member suffers, all parts share in the suffering. If one member is honored, all rejoice in it. Black History Month is a time to examine a particular part of the body. And there are other designated months to celebrate and look at other parts of the body. At Calvin, I instituted Dutch Heritage Month. So I'm an equal opportunity celebrator. Black History Month is both a time of celebration and lamenting. Lamenting the legacy of slavery and Jim Crow. Lamenting the present day reality of racism, discrimination, and injustice. And lamenting the complicity of the church and Christian schools in slavery and segregation and discrimination. It's also a time of celebrating, celebrating the resiliency, the brilliance, and the innovation of our brothers and sisters who identify themselves as black. It's a time for celebrating beauty that comes in shades of honey and cocoa and chocolate. It's a time to celebrate a people who were told that they could not, they should not, they dare not, but by the grace of God, we did, we have, and we will. But you know what? I am tired of celebrating Black History Month. I am. 
And the reason I say that I am tired of celebrating Black History Month is because nothing seems to change as a result of the celebration. I want us to move beyond celebrating diversity. Diversity is not enough. It just is not enough. Diversity just means that there's a lot of different folk who are all together, and most of the time, a lot of different folk coming together, eating great food, hearing great music, but then we don't do anything else after that. I want us to move beyond the celebrations and to borrow from scripture and paraphrasing a bit. I'm tired of the celebrations saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. I'm tired of us pretending like we are the unified body of Christ when there are great chasms and divisions in the body and we seem to ignore them or pretend like they don't exist or to tell the people who are hurting the most to get over it. Get over what? I want change. I want justice to roll down like a mighty river. I want the fullness of the body of Christ to be realized. I want the prayers that the international students offered up this morning to be our shared prayers. I want those burdens to be all of our burdens. That's a, that's a part of my family. That's a part of your family. They are hurting, we are hurting, but can we acknowledge that? Or do we just say, oh, that's just them? I want those who look like me on this campus to be really seen and to be really heard. I've only been on this campus some 36 hours, but I have heard some of the things that they have said. And some of the things that they are saying is that they feel like they're drowning or that they can't be their full selves in this place. I have heard them say that this place doesn't always feel like home and that the racial battle fatigue is real. Not the big things, but the little, tiny, everyday, microaggression things. Or if you don't like the word microaggressions, the little invalidations that tell you, I don't see you, I don't hear you, and you really don't belong here. Some are wondering when they'll feel more like family and less than guests. And some are wondering when we'll start trying to impact this campus as much as we try to impact the world. Still others are wondering when we'll move beyond thoughts and prayers, something bad happens, and so we're going to pray about it. And they're feeling tired of being told to wait, to have patience, to be gracious, tired of words, they want action, they want justice to roll down, they really want this place to be a Christian community where they can flourish. My brothers and sisters, together we are a reflection of God's joy in diversity. Think about it. If God wanted to, God could have made all of us exactly the same, and how boring would that be? Well, if you were all exactly like me, that would be fabulous, but, <laughs> right? 
but that would be boring. Diversity is something that is to be celebrated and to be embraced because it is a God thing. God created it beautiful. We, his creation, have tainted that beauty. We, his creation, have broken the unity that was intended. And if there is anywhere that diversity should be celebrated, it is the church and our Christian campuses. But sadly, this is not always the case. Many of my racial wounds have happened at the hands and from the words of fellow believers. I was a faculty member, a professor for some 20-some years, and there was a day when I went to class, because when I was much younger, I could fool people, and I would, on the first day, I would sit in the front row um, and just wait till everybody comes in and say, wow, I wonder where the faculty member is. And then I would get up and walk up there, and I did that one day, and a student got up and walked out of class. It wasn't because that person was in the wrong class. It was because I was teaching the class. I had someone walk up to me when I was a student and say, hey, you must be from Detroit. You must be from Chicago. I was like, no, not from Detroit. You must be from Chicago. No, not from Chicago. You must be from Patterson, New Jersey. And I thought, well, that's kind of random. Um, and then I found out that there was a significant population of black Christian reform people in Patterson, New Jersey. And I said, no, I'm not. And they said, well, where are you from? It's like, well, actually my parents live five miles down the road. And then they just looked and walked away, never asked me my name. As long as I was exotic, as long as I was a curiosity, that was fine. But when I was just every day like everyone else, I was no longer of interest to them. As a new faculty member on my campus some 20 years ago, I asked a senior faculty member where he saw me in 10 years because I was excited and wanted to know, hey, where do you see me in 10 years? And his response was, not here. Every year I conduct a climate survey. Every other year I collect a climate survey. And there's always a handful of respondents who claim in response to the question, how do you solve racism? Their response is, stop talking about it. You're making us feel bad. And if you're saying, well, that doesn't sound too bad, well, hear this. I haven't shared the worst because I don't feel like relieving it. And two little things still break you down. If you take a rock and you put it underneath a steady drip of water, eventually that rock will become sand. Too often we focus on bringing people who look different from us in faraway places into the body of Christ. We go out there, we proclaim the gospel so that they will join the body of Christ. And we don't tend to those who are already a part of the body and already next door to us, but they look different. Too often, race is ignored in the name of pursuing one united identity of Christ. I am saying again that I am a believer, and my primary identity is that of a believer. But I am saying that the fact that I am black, that when the fact that I am black is not taken into consideration, I am limited in the gifts that I can bring to the body. I am saying that when I am ignored or a part of me is ignored, it feels like I'm being muted and that my black life really doesn't matter. 
and I become invisible. My brothers and sisters, 1 John 4 and 20 asks the question, how can we say we love the Lord whom we have never seen and yet hate or not love the person that we see every day? The question that I pose to you is how are you loving, how are you seeing the people who are next to you and who are different from you? And as I close, it would be super cool to have powers to leap and to fly and to take on the bad guys. But I wish I didn't have the power of invisibility, at least not in the way that I experience it now. But I take comfort in the fact that God sees me and God knows me. I take comfort in the fact in knowing that his heart also breaks when I become invisible. His heart also breaks at the brokenness of his world and the brokenness of community. I take comfort that his heart also breaks that the beautiful diversity that he created has been marred by our actions. And I will take comfort in the fact that it's not by might, not by power, but by God's spirit that things will change.